Well, good morning, church. It's been a long time since I've been able to say that, and like, like we said earlier, it is, uh, it is so good to be back and to be with you once again. Our scripture text today is found in Matthew 4, and so I encourage you uh, to open your Bibles in whatever form you do that and read along as, as I read this passage. Just to set it up a little bit here, uh, before this account, Jesus uh, was being tempted by Satan in the wilderness. And uh, so verse 12 is the, actually the beginning of his message and his ministry. And so in these next several weeks, we are going to look at what it really means for us when we say that we are followers of Jesus. I mean, what does that look like? What should it look like? And then I think maybe the most important question of all that is to say, does it look like us if we say we are followers of, of Jesus? And so let's, let's read these verses as Jesus begins his ministry. Uh, Matthew 4, beginning with verse 12 and reading through verse 25. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum which was by the lake in the area of Zebulon and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah, land of Zebulon and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near, has come near. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers. Simon, called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father, Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread over all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering with severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. This is where it all began. We hear that, you know, sometimes when we visit historical sites or, or maybe, you know, visit places where very important things started or, or found their birthplace. On that trip to Colorado that I mentioned uh, earlier with my father this summer, we drove through La Junta, Colorado. And uh, that was where my father and mother actually met back in the, the mid-60s. And so my dad was in voluntary service there at that time. 
and my mom had gone there for nursing school. And so uh, they met there, they got married a, a few years later, and if it weren't for that, I would not be here today. <laughs> so um, it was very interesting, really. You know, I'd heard them talk about things and, and so on, but it was really interesting for me to, to go by, you know, the VS house where my dad lived when he was in his young 20s and the dorm that my mom uh, lived in, which is actually not being used. They haven't torn it down, but it's not being used anymore. The park that they would walk to on those beautiful Colorado evenings as they got to know each other. And I had to think to myself, as we were taking all of that in and seeing all of that, this is where it all began for them. Well, for Jesus' earthly ministry, this is where it all began. On the shores of the Sea of Galilee, near a town called Capernaum in the area of Zebulon and Naphtali. That's the context that, that Matthew sets for us here in verses 12 through 14. And in Matthew's gospel, he will often connect uh, Old Testament prophecies with the life and ministry of Jesus. The reason that he would do that is because he was trying to help the Jewish people of that time see the connection between their scriptures in the Old Testament and how God was working and what God was doing. And you'll notice in the text there that verse 15 and 16 are... I'm behind on my slides. I haven't done this in a while. Let me catch up here. You guys are supposed to see the map and the town of Capernaum. There it all comes. <laughs> all right. So, um, but anyway, in, uh, in your Bibles, you probably noticed if you were following along in verses 15 and 16, it's kind of broken apart there as a, a separate thing as he quotes the prophet Isaiah. And uh, because Isaiah said where this was all going to begin, he, he prophesied that. He gives the location, and, and then he gives the reason for God sending Jesus to us here on earth. Verse 16 says, the people living in darkness, and now I'm going the wrong way. Bear with me here. <laughs> Got to remember which buttons to push on the, there we go, all right. <laughs> Verse 16 says, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. And on those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. So, you know, Isaiah was saying, this is where it is all going to begin. And then Matthew is saying, this is where it all began. Just as the prophet Isaiah had said. Verse 17 then sets the context of the message that Jesus was coming to preach. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. That's the same message that John the Baptist was preaching out at the Jordan River as he prepared the way for Jesus' ministry to, to actually begin. And we see here in verse 12 that 
you know, just as the ministry of Jesus is about to begin, he hears that John had been put into prison. And, you know, I was, as I was reading and writing and listening to these verses this week, as I talked about earlier, I tried to amount, imagine what this week might have looked like if it took place here in Arthur, Illinois. Perhaps Jesus would stop by a farm outside of town where two brothers were helping their father get ready, get things ready for the upcoming harvest. They would leave and they would follow Jesus. Maybe he would walk into CHI or, or Master Brand and, and somebody would leave the assembly line to follow him. Or maybe he would stop in at one of the local schools and say to one of the teachers, come, follow me. I mean, that's really what happened in these verses, except they were fishermen. Two of the brothers were fishing together and two other brothers were fishing with their father on the Sea of Galilee. And I think they must have been fairly close to the shore because it does say that Jesus was walking along the shore as he, as he spoke to them. But it says that they left what they were doing. It even says immediately they left and they followed him. They followed Jesus. Most likely, you know, this was not the first encounter that they had had with Jesus. They had probably had some other opportunities to interact and, and hear him teach and preach and, and so on. But even, even if that is the case, there is no hesitation when Jesus says, come, follow me. So we have to wonder, you know, would we... Be so willing to drop everything and to follow Jesus right before harvest. <laughs> Peter, Andrew, James, and John were the first followers of Jesus. That is where it all began. Right there on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And now some... 2,000 years later or more, there are over 2 billion followers of Jesus around the world. That means that, that nearly one-third of the world is Christian and claims to be a follower of Jesus. That also means that there's two-thirds that maybe still need to hear about Jesus. So there's still work to do. And of course, it also mean, it doesn't mean that one third of the world necessarily lives like Jesus or lives a life that looks like Jesus, but apparently many claim to follow him. So in the weeks ahead, as I said, we're going to look deeper into what that means for us if we say that we are followers of Jesus. Of course, the most important thing of our faith is that we have received Jesus into our life and we have received the grace and forgiveness for our sins that he 
died to save us from. That's the most important. We're not perfect. We are not sinless as Jesus was. And we need his grace. Amen? Amen. We need his grace. Jesus started his ministry by calling us to repentance. And that repentance thus brings forth restoration. And so that's why, that's why he begins there. But if we follow Jesus, if we say that we're a follower of Jesus, then our life, our goals, our desires, our character, our worldviews, they should resemble the life and teachings that he has shown to us. And so here, here's the other important question. Does your life, does my life look like we are true and committed followers of Jesus. There are so many um, misrepresentations of Jesus out there today. I saw a really grotesque one this week. I'm not going to go into details and share about it, but it just, I could hardly bear what I was witnessing or seeing from somebody who claimed to be a follower of Jesus or at least had a cross, <laughs> was bearing a cross uh, that, that told me that they might be a follower of Jesus. And because of all of those different misrepresentations out there, we need to be sure that we are showing people who are without Jesus, people who are living in darkness, as it says here, um, the way to this, this true light that Isaiah and Matthew speak of in Jesus Christ. We all know that there are, there's plenty of darkness in this world. And the light of Jesus is especially needed to shine through those of us who follow him. In John 14, 6, that uh, was read earlier, uh, by Emily, thankfully, in English, because uh, most of us probably wouldn't have understood what you were reading. <laughs> but in that passage, we heard Jesus respond to Thomas. And he says that if we know Jesus, we know God. They are one and the same along with the Holy Spirit. And in that verse, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then he says, if you really know me, you will know my Father as well. As we, uh, as we visited the many different churches this summer while on sabbatical, I would often look around us and, and think, you know what? We all have one thing in common or most of those who are in attendance for worship, would say that we are followers of, of Jesus Christ. We all believe in and, and follow the same God. You know, our worship spaces might look different. We saw quite a, we saw quite a variety of that this summer. Um, our worship styles might be a bit different. Our church structures might be different. Some had bulletins on Sunday mornings. Some did not. 
Some observed communion every Sunday. Others did not. Some had pastors who were on sabbatical or just coming back from sabbatical. And, and, and we, thought that was, we thought that was very interesting since we were on sabbatical ourselves. I guess what it, I mean, there were like three churches where they talked about sabbaticals either on, ongoing or coming or just one pastor was just coming back. It was his first Sunday back uh, from a sabbatical. So I guess it must have been the summer for sabbaticals for pastors. But, but among you know, all of those similarities and, and differences, we all gathered together to worship the same God, the God of Jacob, the God of Moses, the God of Mary, and the God of David. And we gathered to worship the same Jesus, the Jesus of Peter, of Andrew, of James, and John here. And so, you know, isn't that incredible to think about and, and to celebrate? Over two billion people gathering together to worship Jesus in different places around the world. All of us calling out to the same God that David called out to in the book of Psalms. And you know, when all of us call out to Jesus to help us, we are calling on the same Jesus that Saul, before he became Paul, called out to on the road to Damascus in, in Acts 9. The same Jesus that died for the sins of the world died for your sins and my sins. The same Jesus that healed the lepers and gave sight to the blind is the same Jesus that still brings healing today. The same Jesus that brings hope in the midst of despair and heartbreak in this world is the same Jesus who can bring hope to you and your family when you experience heartbreak and despair. And I know some of you have experienced that this summer. As you think about that, it's no wonder that over 2 billion people in this world have become followers of Jesus and believers in a God who saves and delivers those who come with repentant hearts. That's maybe what moved me the most over this summer was that realization that we are not alone in this, this faith that we profess. There are so many others who, who are with us. It sometimes, I know, doesn't feel that way when, when the world is, is trying to say that God is dead and that we are now living in a post-Christian world. They can say that all they want. And they can call the world what they want. But God is definitely not dead. And Jesus is not going to leave us or forsake us. And another thing about that is the world has gone through times like this before. And then came those great awakenings. Some great revivals that took place through the years. And set people's heart on fire for the Lord once again. And I believe that we will see that happen again. 
I don't know how soon or, or when the tide will turn, but we need to pray that hearts will once again turn to God who can save them and restore them. Because that's the only hope there is for the world. As we traveled those 9,000 miles this summer, I couldn't believe all of the church buildings we saw. If you're ever out traveling, just take that in. I mean, there are church buildings all over this country. Um, you just count how many are in our small community here of Arthur. And so whenever we would drive by or see a building, that meant that the church or the people of God met there to worship together. And if all of those people would follow Jesus as we see in the Gospels and call on God in their times of need and be a light in the world and pray fervently, I think the tide could turn once again. And we could see people awaken to the hope that is found in Jesus Christ. In verses 23 and 25, it says, when people saw that, uh, what Jesus could do and how he could change people's lives, large crowds began to follow. And so if 12 disciples from Galilee can follow Jesus and see all of that happen, why can't 2 billion? <laughs> why can't 2 billion of us see it happen? And we can. But it is up to us to be fishers of people that Jesus mentions in verse 19. But if we are, of course, we need to be sure that we follow him and follow God's word instead of our own desires or the desires of this world. And, you know, there are part of the problem in the world today. There are some Christians who are being led away from the truth by some who, who want to redefine what it means to be a Christian or a follower of Jesus. If you want to read a firsthand account of that, I mentioned this earlier this year, I think. Uh, there's a book in our foyer uh, by Alyssa Childers. It's titled Another Gospel Question Mark. And in that book, she shares her firsthand experience of how that happened with her and, and what she learned from it. We, we have all we need, you see, in, in the Word of God to show us how to live, how to be saved, how to find eternal life, and how to be followers of Jesus. In fact, you know, in the end of our Bibles, there is, a, in Re Revelation 22, there's an important warning there about changing uh, or redefining those things to fit the world's desires instead of, of God's desires. Revelation 22, 18 to 19 says, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this scroll, if anyone adds anything to them, God will add to that person the plagues described in this scroll. If anyone takes words away from this scroll of prophecy, God will take away from that person any share of the tree of life in the holy city, which are described in this scroll. That's a pretty direct warning, isn't it? And it's a reminder for all of us that we are to follow the Jesus that we see in the Gospels and the rest of the New Testament. And so that's, as I said, that's what we're, we're going to be looking at in different ways in the weeks ahead. What should a follower of Jesus really look like according to the teachings of Jesus and Scripture? I will say it is encouraging to see so many Christians living out their faith today in a world that is hostile to our faith. That is encouraging. 
And we saw many of them this summer in different churches, and we see many of them right here at AMC. We believe in the same God. We follow the same Jesus, and our hope and our salvation is found in Christ. Amen? Amen. Well, you know, uh, finally, as we visited those churches this summer, we heard one song uh, several times. I don't know how many we heard it, that, but it really brought this reminder out for us. And so I'd like us to stand, if you would, at this time, and we're going to sing this song together. It's titled... Same God, it is by Elevation Worship. Some of you probably know it, or maybe you've heard it before. Um, if you have, then join in. Let's join in that singing along this morning. Um, the words are going to be on the screen. If it's new to you, then I encourage you to just uh, take in the words and what it is saying. And then, as you feel comfortable, you can join in with us as well. For a word of prayer. Lord, we, we come before you this morning, and we know that we worship the same God, we follow the same Jesus, we just pray, Lord, that our life reflects that to a world that needs to know you and needs to know the hope and salvation that you can bring into their lives. Help us to be uh, examples of that in our daily lives. And be with us in the weeks ahead as we look at what that looks like and what it means for us. Lord, we pray your blessing over the meal that we're going to share together today. And uh, bless the food, bless each one who, who brought something uh, we pray your blessing over Sawyer and, and Jameson and Cheyenne and their family. Just bless them in many ways in the days ahead. And, and Lord, just thank you to be back with this church family. It's a blessing to be here this morning. And may God bless each of us in this week and the weeks ahead. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.